This is most certainly true. Jesus is the King, and He's coming soon. Our celebration of His Christmas arrival is coming soon, but His return is coming soon as well. Are you ready? He makes us ready through faith and opens our eyes to expect and to see and to welcome His return, to take us to live with Him forever. Get your hearts and lives more prepared for the King through this sermon, recently delivered at Grace. The first reading. From the book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 33, our King comes to us. This is the basis for my sermon today. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. They had been married for only six months, so it was understandable that she had an ache in her heart when she saw the empty spot on the couch next to her. It was not that she couldn't exist on her own. She was a talented, successful, independent woman. But she had grown accustomed to blending her hopes and dreams for the future with his. And she had to admit that she had now realized that she enjoyed sharing with someone else the cooking and household chores and errands, and especially having someone with an open ear to what was on her heart and mind and an open heart to share his. But corporate headquarters had sent him on an overseas assignment, and they didn't know how long that project would take. It had been four weeks already. They tried to stay in touch daily by texting and weekends by FaceTime, but he still didn't know exactly when he would be coming back home. And one day, his ringtone jingled in her purse, and he was on the other line saying, I'm about to board the plane to fly home. <laughs> she could hardly keep her hands steady on the steering wheel on that day when she was driving to the airport, so excited she was. And what seemed like hours was really only minutes in the concourse. You can see her, don't you? As she's craning her neck down the concourse, looking to catch a glimpse of him coming through those final security checkpoints, she knowing that when he swept her up in his arms, somehow everything would be better. This is the first Sunday of a new church year. It's Advent. What does Advent mean for you? What does this 
pre-Christmas season in late November, early and mid-December mean for you? The end of a semester and the grueling task of preparing for semester exams, maybe mid-year graduation, family visits, vacation time, travel, scrolling on endless web page after web page looking for holiday gift gifts, rushing out to buy those last minute gifts, office parties, busyness, anticipation of after Christmas sales, cold, maybe even some snow. How about this one? Loneliness. What does Advent mean for you? Today, the first reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah carries a message to us from our God himself through Jeremiah that is intended to kindle anticipation and excitement in our hearts like that of a young bride looking forward to her husband coming home from a long trip. It's a portion of scripture about a king and the king's coming makes everything better. Advent is a time of the year when people hope to get something nice for Christmas. What do you hope for this Christmas? Global peace? An end to political partisanship? COVID to go away? Maybe some new video or phone games? The Israelites of old are hoping for a super sovereign. Sovereign is a fancy word for king. Jeremiah stood in the center of the ring, grabbed the microphone, and announced to all the Israelites, in this corner, descended from the tribe of Judah and the family of David, we have the 20 kings of Judah. And in this corner, from the same tribe and the same family, is the coming promised king. After David and Solomon, there were 20 kings who ruled over the land of Judah. The best I can say about those 20 kings is that two of them were fair. Most of them were weak, weird, or downright wicked. Here's God's evaluation through Jeremiah about those kings of Judah. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice. Your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. God gave to Jeremiah the unpleasant task of proclaiming that message to the people of Israel and in particular to its leaders, the kings. God is fed up, Jeremiah said. He has extended great patience and kindness to the royal family tree of David, but that tree is rotten and dead. He is now going to be sending the chainsaw of the Babylonians to cut it down. Some people in Israel muttered to themselves, this guy, Jeremiah, is depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. Others got in his face and said, shut your trap, Jeremiah. Still others, especially the authorities, who were the real targets of Jeremiah's message, 
got so angry they dumped him in a prison. But the Babylonian armies did advance on Jerusalem. They did burn the temple. They did wreck the city. They did deport the people. And the last king in that line of the kings of Judah, the Babylonian soldiers grabbed him, pulled him out of the city, bound him, forced him to watch while they slaughtered his sons in front of him, poked out his eyes, and hauled him off to Babylon. Those who were hoping for a super sovereign who would be like David or Solomon had their hopes shattered. They had no hope. But now, listen to an unexpected additional message from Jeremiah. The same Jeremiah who was pronouncing this judgment on those people is the same Jeremiah who gave this unexpected message. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise, the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. What can grow out of a dead stump? We would normally answer, nothing. But God performed a miracle. He caused a branch, a sprout, to come out of the dead stump of David's family line. And not just any kind of branch. A righteous branch, who himself was a miracle. God's own son taking on human flesh. And he proved that he was better than any other sovereign, any other king, because he did what no other sovereign could do. He marched out in battle against the old evil foe, and he broke the chains of sin that bound us to that Satan, that devil. Those who listened to Jeremiah and paid attention were filled with excitement and anticipation because his, his announcement meant that a better sovereign was coming, a better king was coming, and it gave them hope. What do you hope for for Christmas? How about hope itself? Not just wishful thinking, but solid confidence that the promised king has come to destroy our worst enemy, that he comes down to us through his words and promises into our heart to assure us of that victory, and he will come again to catch us up in his permanent parade because a better sovereign, a better king, brings us hope. And it's true. The king's coming makes everything better. A sentence is a series of words that are linked together to form a complete statement. But if you were standing in a courtroom with a judge with a scowl on his face, steam coming out of his ears, fire from his lips, reading a rap sheet that's a mile long with your name on top, then the word sentence would take on a whole new meaning. It would be a pronouncement over you, a pronouncement on you, and it wouldn't be pretty. Here was God's sentence on the people of Judah through Jeremiah. I will bring charges against you. As a thief is disgraced, when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. They say to wood, you are my father. And to stone, you gave me birth. Therefore, this is what the Lord God Almighty says, I am bringing a distant nation against you. 
They will devour your harvests and food, devour your sons and daughters. They will devour your flocks and herds, devour your vines and fig trees. With the sword, they will destroy the fortified cities in which you trust. I don't know about you, but what word would describe people under that kind of a sentence? I can think of the word helpless. But now listen to this unexpected additional proclamation from Jeremiah. The same Jeremiah who announced this sentence of doom is now the same Jeremiah who unexpectedly goes on, in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout, God says, through David's line, and he will establish justice and righteousness on the earth. He will make judicial pronouncements. And it won't be a pronouncement of doom and destruction, but a pronouncement not guilty. He's going to offer righteousness. Not just display his rightness, but offer it. And make this pronouncement of a not guilty verdict over people who don't deserve it. I'll tell you what, helpless people would think of that, and prisoners who are totally helpless, this is the best help they could ever imagine! Because a better sentence would give them the help that they didn't deserve, especially when they knew that they deserved to die. How do you think you would fare if standing in God's courtroom, the courtroom of the Holy God, without Jesus by your side? What sentence would you hear? If you think, well, God will look at me and say, well, that person's really okay, guess again. I am compelled by these words of Jeremiah to make an honest admission of all the wrong that I have done and the good that I should have done but didn't do. And these words are intended to compel you to the same. It's humiliating and shaming. I have no right to stand before a holy God. I would not be able to stand there and neither would you. But Jeremiah brings us a message of an announcement that's changed. A sentence that changes from one of doom and condemnation to a not guilty verdict. This is the best help that we could ever imagine. And a better sentence brings us the help that we need the most, wouldn't you say? And so once again, it's the King's coming that makes everything better. A city is a place where people gather and live in a prescribed area. Some people hear the word city and get all pumped up. Woohoo! Theaters, restaurants, entertainment, the Pfizer Forum. There are others who hear the word city and think, uh oh, problems, parking, crime. When Jeremiah trudged the streets of the city of Jerusalem, it was a city intended to be, like other cities, a place of safety and refuge and security. But even if it had a low crime rate, and even if Jerusalem's walls were able to keep bad guys out, there was a cloud of stink that hung over the city of Jerusalem, and not because of a poor sewage system. The stink came from the festering, rotting, oozing, maggot-infested hearts of the people who turned against God. And so God delivered disciplinary action. 
and they were removed and everything they had that they loved was taken away. All the treasures that they wanted were gone. Their power, their positions, their property, their possessions. A big time reminder, nothing on earth brings lasting happiness. But now listen, as the same Jeremiah who unloaded God's message and his threats came with an unexpected announcement. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. He's talking about a rebuilt city, rehabbed homes and restored happiness. Those who were thinking that Jeremiah is talking about a physical city and earthly homes remained depressed. But those who knew he's talking about a spiritual city and eternal mansions had restored happiness. Some people desire to move away from the city. Lots of people in our community are moving back to the city. But this portion of scripture is not about geography and our connection to a physical place. It's about our connection to God. And a better city brings us eternal happiness. And wouldn't you say the Lord's coming makes everything better? So what does Advent mean for you? Take to heart the message of the prophet Jeremiah and will, it will not mean merely scurrying around and scrolling through websites to buy presents or skidding on icy roads or extra calories, too many, from too many delicious feasts or even it won't mean a tear for one more holiday all alone. Take to heart the message of the prophet Jeremiah. And your heart will be filled with a kind of anticipation and excitement of a young bride craning her neck to see her groom coming down an airport concourse. Join with Jeremiah and crane your neck to see Jesus. Look into his words. Let your eyes wander there and stop and let your heart ponder there. And you will see the king's coming makes everything better. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.